It is good to see everybody here tonight. We have a good crowd for Sunday evening, and we're glad that each and every one of you are here. Hope that if you're here and you're visiting and you're from the community, that you'll come back any chance you get, any time you get a chance, and hope that you'll come worship with us. Hope that you find everything that we're doing here or the things that we're not doing here according to God's Word, and hope that if you have any questions that you'll be happy to ask us, and we'll be happy to sit down and study our Bibles with you, and hopefully uh, much good will come from that. We just want to get to heaven. And we want to bring as many people as possible with us. And so we're glad that you're here and hope that you'll come back and you have every opportunity that you get a chance. I want to thank everybody for their prayers over the last couple of months. I have been uh, inundated with busyness and in several different ways. I'm opening a new branch at AmSouth Bank in Murfreesboro. And I have been able, out of town the last few weeks. Some of that, some of that because of the uh, new branch. We've been out in Birmingham and in meetings discussing different things and as well as my back problems, I, I do have two ruptured discs, and I'm so thankful for your prayers with that. I'm not going to have to have surgery. Um, surgery. Uh, we're just going to live with it. We um, have determined that it's just not uh, worth the surgery, that uh, eating right, losing a little weight, has helped that a little bit better. So thank you for your prayers. I'm sorry for my absence so much, but it's, I think from, uh, from this point on it will be a lot. Uh, I won't be out of town as much, and hopefully won't be on any more crazy medicine that I was on uh, um, I've got some pretty funny stories about that, and we'll save those for a later time. In Matthew chapter 14, or 25, beginning in verse 14, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went out, traded with them, and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me five talents. You entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one also who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This morning, Brother Allen preached a very good lesson on the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This evening I was planning on preaching on the same thing. And so we duplicated a little bit. So tonight you get us you get a lesson on the parable of the talents. This is not a profound lesson, um, although some of these things may seem profound to the world. 
but I hope that there will be something that you can get get away, get out of it, and take away and take to your homes with you and throughout your lives. Uh, live with that. The first point I want to make tonight is not a profound point, but I tell you it is profound to the world, and that is just simply that the master gave the slaves talents. Now here it is according to um, uh, the talent is money. A talent is a sum of money. I don't know what the uh, what how much money it is. Tonight I'm not talking about money. Tonight I'm talking about ability. Because he gave each according to his own ability what he could handle, what he could deal with. But the point, the first point I want to make is that simply the master gave his slaves talent. In the same manner, God gives us ability. God gives us talents, things that we are to use. These talents aren't ours. These abilities aren't ours. The ability to preach, the ability to lead singing, the ability to pray, the ability to go out and teach the law. Those abilities aren't ours. Those are the abilities that God has given us. In this world today and in this life today, we're so, we're so inundated with self-fulfillment. Uh, so thinking that I have done what I have done. I am great. I have gotten to this point in my life and my career. My family's doing this. My, family, uh, my, my job is doing this. I'm doing so great. And I've done so much and I have done everything. Isn't that what the world teaches today? The, teaches, the world teaches self-fulfillment. That I have done this. That if you need something, you've got to go out and get it. You've got to go and work hard for it and go out and get it. Well, yes, you've got to work hard to be a Christian. However, not one ability that we have, we can say that is our own. Because God gave us everything. Everything comes from the Master. And this world teaches, clearly teaches, and a lot of times that it is up to us. And so, therefore, as Christians, we can fall into that same trap, and we can fall into the trap of not trusting God and trusting in ourselves too much. Fall into the trap of not being able to, to go to God in prayer and think, for, think about God when everything when troubles come our way, but think that I've got to do this. I've got to get out of this. God wants us to realize that everything that He has given us comes from Him, and that none of it is our own. The second point in the same manner as I just stated, was that the master gave these slaves talents that were according to their own ability. If you will turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And in verse 1, Paul says to the church of Ephesus, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but to teach. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended it, it descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. 
from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. Turn to with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all one member, but would the body... I'm sorry, if, and if they were all one member... Where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again to the, uh, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed them the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, health, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you still a more excellent way. All of us aren't going to have the same abilities, the same talents. Obviously, the Master gave his slaves talents according to their own abilities. In the same way, God gives us according to our own ability. The Bible says that the Lord will not give us anything that we cannot handle. And in the same manner, in these last two passages, we see that some have been given different objectives. And I love what 1 Corinthians 12 says, that the weaker members are necessary. In verse 22, on the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable on, that, on these would bestow more abundant honor. And then in verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Therefore, it's obvious to me and apparent to me that, that when we look at the parable of the talents, that there are going to be people with less ability, people with less talent than we have. However, those one-talent people are just as important and, just, and, and should, uh, should get just as much honor as those with the five talents. You know, in the parable of the talents, there's a couple of more things that I, that I find interesting about that, and one of those being that God gives us the ability to make more of our talents. 
but a lot of times we don't take advantage of that. A lot of times we sit back and we grow complacent and we don't, we don't use our gifts and then we, we lose gifts, as the one talent man did. But in verse 31 here, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, But earnestly desire the greater gift. Therefore, you one-talent people, you two-talent people, strive to for the greater gift. Strive for the five-talent. Now here he's obviously talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the point is still the same, that he's talking about the body and how the body is to work together. So he's t- telling us to improve. He's telling us to improve our lives, to improve our Christianity, to improve our ability so that we can do more for God's kingdom. In Matthew chapter 25, in the parable of the talents, the master gave them according to his own ability, and so does God give us according to our ability. I want to notice something about those slaves. You know, the man with the five talents, the five talents, and the man with the two talents came back and had doubled what they had. They worked really hard for that. There's something I want to observe about that. One is that these men were motivated. These slaves were motivated to do well. Have you ever seen somebody who's motivated to do something? You may be work with someone that's motivated to do something. It may be someone, and I think a lot of this sometimes gets uh, to the younger people who are at work and in the workforce. Once they get out of college, they call them eager. They're really motivated to do something. What do those people usually do? They make a few mistakes. But what happens? They grow from it. They learn from it. And they grow wiser and understand more. Have you ever seen an older person that was motivated? I have. You know, there's the, um, I work at Amtel Bank, as most of you know, we just merged with Regions, but there's a man that used to be the CEO and president of Deposit Guarantee in Nashville back in the 50s. And he still works for the bank to this day on a part-time basis. He'll come in for five or ten, ten, ten uh, hours a week. And he's about 80-something years old. And if you've ever met this man, you would realize that this man is one of the most motivated men you'll ever meet in your life. He comes in there one day, and I, we had to get something signed. And he took real careful notice, read through what we had to get signed, because it had something to do with the old, the old bank. And we, we took it and get it signed, and he sits there, and he takes his time and signs his name just really neat. And I look at it, and I'm sitting there, and he looks at me, and he says, Son... He said, don't sign your name where people can't read it. He said, you'd be proud of your name, and you sign it where people can read it. And I thought about that, and I thought about this man, just how motivated he was, and how proud he was of what God had given him, the ability he had given him. This man, obviously, uh, is a member of a, he's actually a member of a, uh, of a liberal church of Christ out there, but... He, he definitely is a motivated person and brings about good points. He's a very motivated person. The point, though, is he has lived a long life and that he's done a lot. Imagine what the church at Franklin can do if we have that same kind of motivation in our lives. Imagine what we can do if we have the same motivation to go out and spread the gospel, to go out and do the things that God has given us to do together. See, and a lot of times, churches grow from There's two things that happen. Either sometimes those of us who were raised in church were not raised in Christ, which is a big problem. A lot of times we were raised going to church all of our lives, but we weren't necessarily raised in Christ. 
And as you can see, that presents its problems because we were here, we learned all the things we needed to learn, we learned how to go through the motions, we became Pharisees. We guarded the truth all of our lives, and then we guarded the truth all of our lives strongly, but we've missed out on part of the, the gospel that's the most important part. We've missed out on the love and on the hospi hospitality and on the things that really matter to build strong Christian relationships. Imagine what would happen if the church at Franklin just wrapped their arms around each other, which we have in several ways. But imagine if we excelled still the more in that, and we became motivated to serve God. Zig Ziglar, when he talks about motivation, talks about and says that if you work hard to help others get what they want in life, you'll get anything you want in life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to get to heaven. So therefore, it's my job to help everybody else get to heaven. Because if I want to get to heaven... I've got to help others get to heaven. Motivation is one of the most important keys in, 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 to our lives as Christianity. We've got to stay motivated and kind of make it a habit. Motivation alone isn't the answer. It's got to be a habit. Think about it for just a second. What do we do every day? Motivation doesn't always last. We know sometimes it comes and sometimes it goes. Well, so, so does eating and taking a shower. But you've got to know that to, to, to not stink and to live, you've got to eat and take a shower every day. It has to become a habit. Well, in the same manner, does motivation have to become a habit? We have to be motivated to go out and, and preach the gospel. Tonight I want to ask you, what is your motivation? What are you here for? Turn to Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to tell you, what I'm here for. In verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort among him. And they stripped him. And they put a scarlet robe on him. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And a reed in his right hand and they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat upon him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took off his robe and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a certain Cyrenian named Simon. This man, they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots and sitting down. They began to keep watch over him there. And they put above his head the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now after the Sabbath in verse chapter 28. Let's go back to verse 27. I'm sorry, I skipped something. In verse 48. And immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook. And the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. 
Now the centurion and those who were with him keep guarding over Jesus when they saw the earthquake. And the things that were happening became very frightened and said, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women were there looking on from a distance. They followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. And in chapter 28 and verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what, I have no idea what motivates you. But I'm going to tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified, the fact that he died, the fact that he was turned in to a bloody mess on the cross for you and for me, for our sins, the very fact that he was turned into that for us, and the fact that He rose on the third day, and the fact that he, he, he came back and appeared to His disciples, that should motivate you. John 14 says, Greater love, or I'm sorry, John 15 says, Greater love hath no man than this, so he lay down his life for his friends. And He says, You are my friends if you follow my word. If you're here tonight and you're in middle school or high school or elementary school, I want you to know that Jesus Christ died for you. And He was turned into a bloody mess on the cross for you. If you're here tonight and you're in college, I want you to know that Jesus Christ was turned into a bloody mess on the cross. And He died for you. If you're here tonight and you're older in the workforce, however old you may be, you may be retired. I want you to know that Jesus Christ was turned into a bloody mess for you. But that's not all. Because in John 14, Jesus tells His disciples, He says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, out in common. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. That motivates me. That motivates me. Because my Lord and Savior died on this cross, a bloody mess for me, and He's given me a home in heaven. You know, a lot of us sometimes don't have confidence that we're going to heaven. A lot of us sometimes don't feel like, I, and I don't know what I don't know what that attributes to. I don't know what the cause for that. I don't know the answer for that. But all I know is this: as long as we are living our lives faithfully, asking forgiveness of our sins when they occur, God is going to give us a home in heaven, and it's because of Jesus Christ who died for our sins, brothers and sisters. That motivates me. What about you? That motivates me because I'm going to go to heaven one of these days. Because I'm going to sing songs of praise before our Creator. And we're all going to be there together. That motivates me. And I hope that motivates you. These slaves were motivated men. They were motivated men. One of the things that motivated them is their master believed in them. Their master believed in them. You know, when I was a freshman in high school, played baseball on the high school team at Rogers High School in Green Hill, Alabama. Yes, there is a Green Hill, Alabama. It's not Greenbow, Alabama, but it is a Green Hill, Alabama. And we had just moved there, and I had made the baseball team, and I was pitching my first game. And uh, my dad was preaching a meeting. And up until that point, my dad had always been my coach. He'd always been my coach. Since I was out of the womb, pretty much, he'd always been my coach. I think I was born in a baseball club, and a ball was thrown into my hand, and he said, let's play catch. And so I go in, and I get out ready for this game. We've been practicing all fall, all the, pretty much the winter and the spring, and we finally have our first game, and I'm starting for that first game, and I start to do real bad. I start to do, I start to, I walk two or three batters, uh, hit, drove two runs in, and I was just nervous. Next batter, I beamed in the head. Poor kid, he, uh, he's still trying to get over that, I'm sure. But uh, it was pretty bad. And probably the only guy I knew was playing second base. His name was Adam, and he walked up to me and said, wow, you got to slow your wind-up down. He said, you're just... You're just nervous. He said, you got to calm down. And so I took a break. He took a little breather, and I just kind of relaxed for about five or ten seconds. And I turned around, and I looked behind the catcher, behind the fence. And their dad was, and he said, well, it's just like me and you playing catch. You know, he believed in me. He believed in me. And in the same manner, the master believes in his slaves, and God believes in you and I. God believes that you and I can go out and can use our talents to the best of our ability. Tonight I want to ask you, are you motivated? And I want to ask you to use your abilities and use your talents the way God has put before us to use. Have you ever known a five-talent person that acted like the one-talent person. This is the person, I think, that the person that was more raised in, in church, quote-unquote, than raised in Christ sometimes because 
A lot of times, we as people who have been raised in the church become a five-talent person, but we act like the one-talent person. We go and hit our, hide our five talents in the ground. I've heard some great lessons from this pulpit. I've heard some great Bible classes been taught. Great song leading from others. Great prayers offered, things like that. I've seen women and, and men greet people at the door warmly and, 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 and so comfortably. But sometimes I think we're guilty of maybe being a five-talent person and only really using three talents. Or really only using um, one talent. Or maybe not using any of them. I've seen some of the most able people dig their talents in the ground. And that happens, like this one-talent person did. So I don't want to encourage you to not do that. There's a lot of talent in this auditorium. There's a lot of people here that have the ability to do a lot of things. Imagine what we can do together if we're motivated because Jesus Christ died on that cross for you and I. And our Father prepared a place, prepared a mansion for us. Well, that motivates me. And i tell you what, you want to get something out of life, we've got to help others get it too. So if we want to get to heaven, we've got to help others get there. And we need to do it together. And work together and work hard at it. Because when it comes down to it, we probably spend 40 hours a week at work. Spend maybe four or five hours here. What is life? A lot of our lives is work. I think I have, I think I have, as I've grown in career-wise and things like that, I've grown to know that a lot of times life can be work, and it ought not be that way. The kingdom is our work. The kingdom is worth everything. And I want you to get there. And I want to get there. But we can't get there unless we use our talents and our abilities and help others get there.